Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks, an audio travel guide aimed to inspire you and your family to visit America's National Parks and help you get the most out of your park experience. This is your host, Danielle. This is episode number 17. In this episode, I speak with Chris Nicholson, who will share photography tips in the national parks and some of his favorite parks and features to photograph. We also want to hear about your adventures. Today, I want to share a message from listener Chris Jones. Chris writes, Hello, guys. I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast, and it's been insightful, especially the Smoky Mountains episodes. My wife and I are planning to go to Yosemite next May with our three-year-old. I was looking to see if you had Yosemite episodes. Looks like you don't. Have you been? And if so, what tips could you give us? So lucky for Chris, we recently visited Yosemite and had some tips to share with him. I'm happy to tell you that we are currently working on our Yosemite series and we'll roll it out in the fall. Thank you so much, Chris, for contacting us. We also want to hear about your adventures. Do you have a story to tell about your family's experience at a national park? A favorite recommendation to share or how this podcast helped enrich your trip? Email us at hello at everybody's nps.com. You can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone and then attach it to the email. You may be featured on an upcoming episode. Again, the email is hello at everybody'snps.com. Before I get to today's topic, I want to take a moment to talk about listener support. If you are already a patron of the podcast, thank you so much and feel free to skip ahead one minute to today's conversation. If you are not yet a patron and you want to hear my thoughts on this topic, here they are. This podcast is a labor of love. We were looking for a podcast that would help us in planning our family trips to national parks. We could not find one, and so we decided to create the podcast we were looking for. I ask you this question, has this podcast brought you value? If so, would you consider becoming a patron by offering financial support? Patreon is a platform that allows for recurring monthly support for as low as a dollar per month. You may find a link on our website, everybody'snationalparks.com, to support the show. Thank you to all of our patrons. Now let's get to the conversation. I'm here with Chris Nicholson. Chris is a photographer and writer and is author of the book, Photographing National Parks. He is also a partner and workshop leader with National Parks at Night, which brings participants for extraordinary night photography adventures. Hi, Chris. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Danielle. Thanks for having me. Chris and I just met very recently, I think it was about a week ago, at the Optic 2019 conference that's run by B&H in New York City, which was a fabulous conference, and I was so excited to meet many national park enthusiasts there. And we, we did a lot of fun things there. So if you're ever in New York for that, I highly recommend it. So Chris, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you became interested in photographing national parks and national parks at night? Gosh, that's a long story. Oh, the abbreviated <laughs> version. <laughs> the abbreviated version. Well, let's see. I, you know, I guess both, there's two components to that. There's the, the interest in the national parks and um, my interest in photography. And they both at least partly came from the same place, which would be my dad. My dad was an amateur photographer. And uh, also, we used to go camping a lot with my family, with my mom, too. We would go camping a lot when I was a kid. And some of that was in the national park. So kind of between those two things, when, when, I, uh, when I started my 
career and got into doing photography more seriously in my 20s, it was the, the, the parks were a very natural draw for me as a subject. Uh, they weren't a big part of what I was doing professionally. Uh, I was working as a, a writer and editor at Tennis Magazine, and I was doing tennis photography uh, and some event photography on the side. And it wasn't very often that national parks played into that. But because I had that interest since I was a kid, I was drawn to the parks as a, as a subject anyway. And I would try to work it into assignments sometimes. Uh, for, for instance, one time the tennis magazine was sending me to Marto Island, Florida, which is a big tennis hotbed. But I mentioned to the, the art director that the, uh, that Marco Island is right next to Everglades National Park. And I said, you know, we should we should probably cover that, too. And she said, oh, yeah, good idea. Why don't you go spend a day shooting over there? You know, I, I would work it in when I could. And then, you know, it wasn't until I was about 40 years old that did the idea writing the book came up. And it, it kind of came up as a fluke. I was doing I was doing a lecture photographing the parks. And even that I had to be talked into. I kind of felt like, well, who am I to be, you know, talking about that? And uh, I was doing the lecture and they introduced me. And the woman who introduced me must have misunderstood something I said in private because she said, Chris is working on a book about photographing national parks. So, haha, very funny. Uh, the very next day, <laughs> I was I was sitting having a drink with a friend and a client, uh, somebody I'd known and worked with for a long time. Uh, and he runs a book publishing company. And he didn't think the story was funny at all. Uh, he, In fact, he turned to me and he, he said, Chris, that's a great idea for a book. And uh, so that's how it all came together. Uh, and I, I couldn't be more happy because it really, all of my loves and all of my passions into one and, and set my career in a direction that I, I just, I couldn't feel more fulfilled about. That's fantastic. So why don't we skip ahead? And I was saving this for the end, but as long as you brought up your book story, can you describe the book and how people can use it to be successful at photographing national parks? Oh, yeah, sure. The book's kind of in two parts. The first half of the book has a lot to do with scouting and photography. So I, I talk about photo techniques. I, I talk about scouting a lot. That's a huge topic for me. I, I just I can't overstate how much doing a little bit of research and scouting the area you're shooting can go in leading to better photos. So that's a big part of the first part of the book. And I also talk about just sort of logistics and how to go about planning a park trip and how what gear to bring, where to stay, things like that. The second half of the book, I go through every national park and talk about what that park offers for the photographer. So a lot of travel guides talk about you know, everything the park has to offer, but I focus specifically on the photography and on the subject matter that photographers can find there, you know, whether it be wildlife or mountain scenery coastline, et cetera, whatever, whatever's there for artistic opportunity. And do you provide tips on favorite spots to photograph in each park? A little bit. I, I do offer some tips on specific locations, but the strategy I took with that part of the book is to give people maybe more inspiration than specific information. So I talk about the general things to find, but I also talk about how to go and find your own spots. I'm not a big fan of, of saying, here's where I made this photo. Here are the GPS coordinates and where you should put your tripod and what camera to use and what lens to put on. I don't <laughs> think most photographers want that. Um, I think that most photographers want to be creative and make their own work. They, they don't need to know every little detail about what I did. So I just tried to, mm -hmm. I tried to, you know, the analogy, you could teach someone to fish or you could give them a fish. 
So with the book, I was trying to teach how to fish, teach how to go Mm -hmm. out and find your own spots and how to maximize your own creativity. Got it. And do you have advice? There is a section in the book, what gear a casual photographer should bring with them and not be weighed down. That's one issue I always have when I'm packing my bags because I'm traveling with my family and my kids. We're going on hikes. I struggle with trying to find the time to just escape my family for a bit so I can really just focus on photos and when we go on hikes everyone's always yelling at me like put the camera away stop taking pictures but it's too beautiful it's hard (laughs) so I I try to balance and appreciate what they want to do and what I want to do but then in my in my day pack on my hikes and stuff I also have everyone's lunch or snacks with me plus my equipment So um, I struggle with that. What are your recommendations? Well, I can tell you everybody struggles with that. It's hard to travel with non-photographers if you want to do photography. Uh, They're well-meaning. You know, they say, oh, we don't mind. You know, you can shoot. But they don't understand a lot of times that photography isn't about stopping for 30 seconds to take a shot. You know, you could find a beautiful scene and want to wait two hours for the light to be right. Non-photographers don't have a lot of patience with that. They have other priorities. They want to be enjoying more miles of the scenery. And that's perfectly understandable. It's just hard to mix the two. But I will say this. I, I This was really amusing to me. Years back, I was I went to see a National Geographic photographer lecture, and he said the exact same thing, that he has a hard time traveling with his family and shooting at the same time. So even if a National Geographic photographer has trouble, then we, we all know we're okay when we have the same problem. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I liked his solution. Yeah, my solution is I just don't travel with non-photographers when I'm on a shoot. His solution was that when he travels with his family, he will tell them ahead of time that there's going to be one day or two days. So he might say on Tuesday and Thursday, I'm going to be shooting. You know, you guys do your own thing. Those are the days that I'm going to be working. And I do like that strategy, too. I think that's nice and fair for everybody. Me, I just try to travel with other photographers. But uh, in terms of what gear to carry, yeah, that's always a, a big question. I think a lot depends on what's the purpose of your trip. I mean, are you there to really do some serious photography or is photography just going to be a part of why you're there? And if your primary purpose is photography, then I think you need to bring what you need to bring to do the best work that you can do. You're investing time, you're investing money in this trip for the point of being creative. So put yourself in the position to be as creative as you can be. On the other hand, if it's just a you know a secondary purpose of the trip, well then yeah, then try to pack light, try to think uh, what are the lenses that I use most often? You know, and, and you can do that just by going and, you know, most people use Lightroom these days. And if you're using Lightroom, you can go into Lightroom and select all your photos and then look at the metadata and see which lenses you use the most. So maybe just pack those two lenses or that one lens. Do you need a tripod? I don't always shoot with one, but maybe you don't need to carry that extra weight if you're just going to be shooting in daylight. So there are choices you can make to to lighten the load. Right. And for me, it's always sort of secondary because I'm there primarily to spend time with my family, make memories. Part of making memories is also taking pictures. Yeah. So I always have my DSLR camera. I usually have a second lens that I go in between the two lenses. I have my smartphone. And then depending on what we're doing, I may have a GoPro. I may have a gimbal with me. That's all? (laughs) That's all you'll bring? (laughs) That starts to get weighed down a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, I will say this, though. The, the whole idea of shooting with one lens, 
Now, most photographers would want to have their full range of lenses with them, but it's also a well-known creative exercise to shoot with just one lens because sometimes it forces you into approaching a scene differently than you might otherwise. So if you do need to pack light and you're only going to carry that one lens, then double that as a creative exercise and say, okay, everything I shoot, I'm going to have to shoot with this one lens. So how can I go about it differently and maybe create something I hadn't before? (laughs) <laughs> have a lens with the biggest range. <laughs> there you go. You can do that too. Sure. Uh, do you always have like a rain cover for the camera? Is there a favorite backpack, anything of that nature? Any accessory to hold your camera? Anything that is a useful tip for people who are hiking and also doing photography? Well, let's see. I don't carry a rain cover for my camera. Uh, I do own one. I own a Peak Design rain cover, which is really good. But uh, my camera is also very well weather sealed. So only conditions that I wouldn't feel comfortable having my camera out in are conditions where I'm probably not shooting anyway. That said, I own a high level DSLR and not every camera is uh, weather sealed to the same degree as the, you know, the flagship models. If you have more of a prosumer level camera, then I would recommend some kind of rain cover. Uh, again, I, I love the one that Peak Design makes. Um, it's almost like a shell for the camera that you can get your hand into. Mm-hmm. But there's other options, too, even ones that are that are just bags. In fact, you know what I used to do earlier in my career when I didn't have a lot of money for accessories? I would use uh, from the hotel room. Every hotel room comes with something that's the perfect size to cover a camera, and that's a shower cap. Exactly. They go right yep. over the camera. They go right over a lens, and, and they'll keep it well protected if you're out shooting in the rain. And I do recommend that over not shooting in the rain. Bad weather makes good photography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we were recently in Yosemite and we hiked up to and, and Nevada Falls. And so at Vernal Falls, wow, was it wet. Yeah, <laughs> when I saw how wet people were, I decided, you know what, I'm just putting my DSLR inside my rain jacket and I'm not taking it out because my camera is on the old side, it definitely needs to be updated. And I had my phone, and so I took pictures with my phone. Once we got past the wet part, I saw somehow there must have been a little crack or something because water got inside. Oh, jeez. That was... <laughs> it ended up drying up, so I was able to use my phone later in the day. Oh, good. That was good. But I couldn't take pictures with it for the next few hours until wow. it dried out. <laughs> glad the air dried out. Yeah. So you got to be prepared. Yeah, yeah, you do. It's always good to have a second camera or maybe a second phone, right? Right. Yeah. So you asked about, you know, bags too. So I use three bags primarily, depending on what I'm doing. Uh, I, my sort of carrying around bag is my Peak Design sling bag. And that's, uh, it's a smaller bag that fits just what I need right now. It's perfect for a night shoot because it's something that I can just have on me with a couple of lenses, a couple of flashlights. I don't need my full assortment of gear every time I walk outside. I also use a Manfrotto Bumblebee bag, and that's the bag that I use to get my gear from place to place. So that fits everything I'm going to bring on a trip. It can go right on my back. It's easy to transport around the airport. It's easy to transport around the locations, you know, anything. I could just it's it's nice and ergonomically designed so I can put it on my back and it's comfortable enough despite having all that weight. And then the other bag I use uh not as often, but it's it's very important when it's needed. And that's a real backpack. Uh one for being out in the wilderness, out in the back country when I'm shooting and camping at the same time. And for that I use the Shimoda bags. They are 
the only company that I'm aware of that has designed a backpack specifically for photographers and the other way around. They have designed a camera bag specifically for backpacking, not just for carrying your gear on your back, but for carrying it out into the wilderness when you need to be concerned about weight and when you need space for other things like a tent and clothes and food. That's awesome. Great. Well, we'll provide links to this in the show notes. Those are great tips and sounds like great products. What should casual photographers do to set themselves up for photography success? You talked about doing research and you talked about scouting. So are you talking about like looking up maybe blogs or something to see favorite spots that people like to photograph when they're going to a park, something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Any information you can find, you know, whether it's a, a book about that park, my book, for instance, is, you know. Yes, of course. And we will we'll provide a link to your book oh, on our thanks. website. But, you know, there's a lot of books. I'm not the only one who's written about this. There are books that a, a photographers have written about specific parks. There's a couple of great ones about uh, Yellowstone and Acadia. So if you're going to one of these places, see what information you can find. See if there's a book. You can find a blog post about it, you know, go and Google photography locations, Everglades, and just see what you can find. There's so much information out there these days. You know, we've got almost the whole breadth of human knowledge at our fingertips. So go use it. And the reason I say to do that before you travel is because you're just going to put yourself in a position where you know what you're doing when you hit the ground. It can be a lot of fun to go to a new place and just wander around and discovering something new at every turn. That's a great way to have an adventure but it's not necessarily a great way to do your best photography. If you know what you're doing ahead of time, if you know where you want to look, what times of day to be in certain places, what kinds of weather to be shooting certain things, then you're going to give yourself a huge leg up when you get there, and I promise you're going to do better work. Nice. Are there any particular techniques that you can share for listeners to try on their next visit? Are there any particular techniques for people who aren't, you know, as well-versed in photography as you are, perhaps for photographing water, waterfalls, sunrise, sunset, nighttime. I know you do workshops on a lot of these things. And is it possible to do any of these without a tripod? Because they are heavy. And if you're going on a big hike and if photography isn't your main goal, like we talked about, if you're on a family trip, then probably not going to, may not be bringing a tripod with you. Okay, that was about two books worth of information to answer that. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you can pick one. Is I can there... pick one. Okay. Yeah. In photography techniques, gosh, there's so much that somebody can learn. You know, nobody knows every technique, but I kind of think of photography techniques as uh, tools, uh, right? So you, you learn different things and then you have those tools in your toolbox and you pull them out when you need them. So, you know, I know how to shoot, uh, how to silhouette something in front of a sunset. Now, that's not something I do every day, but it's a tool in my toolbox when I see a great sunset and a, a really interesting foreground, like, I don't know, a, a palm tree or a Joshua tree or something, then I know how to do that. So I recommend learning as much as possible about photography. I, I love Outdoor Photographer Magazine. You know, you should flip through and look for photos you like and see what you can learn about how they were done and, and build up that toolbox. The same thing with night photography. That's such a huge thing these days to go out and shoot the stars and to shoot the Milky Way. and Anybody with a, a relatively new camera has the capability of doing that. For night photography, you absolutely want to use a tripod because we're talking about exposures that are, you know, maybe a minimum of 15 seconds. Nobody can handhold their camera for 15 seconds. 
So you have to right. use a tripod. But I recommend using one even in daytime. There's a lot to be said for the process that forces you to be careful and more controlled with the way you work. And even if you're shooting at shutter speeds that are fast enough to handhold, your photos will still be sharper if you shoot them on a tripod. So I'm such a big believer in using a tripod that at times when I find myself tempted not to, that's a signal to me that maybe I don't really care about this photo. Now, that said, a lot of that's my personal preference, and I don't push my preferences on other people. If you're out shooting and you're just doing daylight photography and you don't want to carry a tripod, then by all means, I'm not going to show up and chastise you. You know, just know how to do it. Know how to shoot at a faster shutter speed to uh, make sure that your photos are as sharp as they can be. Or find things out in nature that can serve as a tripod, right? You might find a, a boulder that you can put your camera down on or put it right on the ground. There's a lot of ways to stabilize your camera besides using a tripod. Yes. And I haven't done that so much with my big camera, but I definitely find found ways to do that with my phone when oh, I'm trying sure. to get a picture of my whole family and just find a rock or something to balance it on. <laughs> right. I use my wallet a lot, too. You know, I'll put my camera down and it's maybe not the right angle. So I'll pull my wallet out to kind of use as, a, you know, sort of a lever underneath the camera to get it to the angle I want it. There's lots of things oh, that's can a use good one. just in our bags already or in our pockets. Yeah. And typically you always have your wallet on you. Yeah. A lot of parks have photography workshops and you travel around and do workshops. Some of the parks or their partner friends groups sponsor workshops. And then I've seen, well, I guess like yourself, photographers who offer a trip and workshops in a park. How should someone go about choosing one or... You know, do you have any recommendations in that regard? Besides the obvious answer of choosing mine? Yeah. Oh, okay, sure. Well, it might be obvious to say, but, you know, pick a workshop that focuses on what you want to do, right? You know, if you want to shoot um, sunflowers, you know, the night photography is probably not the right thing for you. A night photography workshop is probably not right. So pick it based on location, pick it based on subject matter, or pick it based on a technique you want to learn. Uh, I know somebody who teaches great workshops that just focus on creativity and just the idea of how to be, be more creative regardless of your subject matter. There's so many things to choose from. And then, you know, try to pick one with instructors that you seem to connect with in some way. I mean, nobody wants to spend that kind of money and spend that kind of time to go in a national park for a week or someplace and then not enjoy the company of the people they're with, right? So look for like-minded groups. Along the same lines, it's probably a good idea to look for groups that cater to your skill level. It can be frustrating sometimes for a beginner if they're surrounded by advanced photographers and vice versa. An advanced photographer might feel held back if they're around a, a group of beginners. And then uh, the last thing I'd say is make sure that whoever's running the workshop is doing it in a responsible way. They should be treating the parks and nature with respect. They should be well-versed and leave no trace. They should be getting the, the proper permitting from the parks. They should have a permit to be running a workshop there. And they should also have proper insurance. Uh, you want to make sure that it's being run as a serious business and not a fly-by-night operation. Those are all really great tips. And how should someone go about finding them? Would you go straight to the park you're interested in going to? Or is there some sort of network or association. I came across um, yourself and some of your friends at the conference last week, but wouldn't have known about it otherwise. Where's a good place to look? Yeah, you can try 
conferences. Uh, I'd say most conferences I go to, there's some workshop programs that are exhibiting there. You know, that said, those tend to be the bigger workshop programs that do that. And there's a lot of great smaller ones, too, uh, that might just be one photographer who brings five people out a few times a year. And those can be great experiences as well. You can hear a lot about workshops that other people have been on uh, if you're a member of a camera club or maybe trying a photography forum online. Outdoor Photographer Magazine and back, there's a lot of ads for photography programs. These are all great ways to to find something uh, and, and even just Google. You know, if, if you're interested in a particular subject or a particular place, just go look for Grand Teton photo workshops or night photography workshops and see what you come up with. You'll probably find a lot of results. How do you know what's good and what's bad? Well, you know, look at the quality of the photography, look and see, do they have a Facebook page where a lot of people who have been on their workshops are active and commenting? Uh, That's a sign that they had a good experience, right? And look for the content that they create too. You know, do they have a blog that they're posting on every week or is it a blog that they haven't posted on since 2017? That's an indication that somebody is more active than not. Do you keep count? How many parks have you been to? You know, I actually don't keep count. I used to, but the number was never really important to me. Mm -hmm. I think I used to keep track of it just so I would know when people asked me. And then I would always forget the number. (laughs) Exactly. I'm the same way. (laughs) Uh, I I just, I don't know. It's, you know, there's a lot of people out there who have made it a goal to get to all 61 parks or to all 420 National Park Service units. And that's great. You know, whatever your goal is, pursue it. I'm behind you 100%. But that's not my goal. Uh, my goal right. is just to get out into the places that I enjoy. I do like getting to new places, but I also like going back to ones I've been to before. I've been to Acadia probably 12 or 15 times, and I'm sure I will go again. You know, as a photographer, that's a great way to delve deeper into a park and to push myself to see something I hadn't seen before or to go back and shoot an idea that I had that was really better uh, in winter or in fog or in some kind of different season. That's more important to me than trying to hit all 61 parks. That said, I'm somewhere over half. I don't know. I'm in the 30s, I think. That's great. And do you have a favorite park to photograph? It sounds like Acadia might be the one. You know, Acadia is definitely up there. It's really hard for me to pick. It's like asking, it'd be like asking my six-year-old daughter what her favorite candy is, you know? (laughs) So I do love Acadia. I grew up in Connecticut, and that was the park that I could get to the easiest. So I spent a lot of time there. As I was developing as a photographer, um, I've run a couple of workshops there. I love the place. It's a small park, but there's so much visual variety there that uh, I just never get bored. And it's so, so beautiful up there. I also like Yellowstone a lot. It's uh, like a photographer's playground. You know, if you're a nature photographer, pretty much any genre you can think to shoot, Yellowstone has it. You know, there's wildlife, there's wildflowers, there's mountains, there's meadows, there's forests, there's lakes, there's waterfalls. And then on top of all that, you've got all the geothermic features, you know, to be able to shoot the geysers, you know, and the hot springs and the steam. It's just, I mean, you could literally shoot a different genre every day of a two-week trip and never run out of subject matter. Right. So, So Yellowstone's great for that. And then the third one I always think of is Olympic National Park, which, again, is just such a beautiful place. And one of my favorite things about Olympic is that it's like three parks in one. Because you've got rainforest, you've got coastline, and you've got the mountains. And all of them are distinctly beautiful and offer completely different photography opportunities that, kind of like Yellowstone, you can always be shooting something different. 
Right. And you can go back to those parks, Olympic and Yellowstone, so many times and never never replicate, never run out of things. Oh, They're never. just oh, yeah. <laughs> and Yosemite is probably cliche, but since I was there recently, it was just so awe inspiring. So yeah, magnificent. Mind. And this is the problem <laughs> with asking that question is that you know, like I'll think about, okay, where was I last month and say, Oh yeah, oh you know what another good one is is Death Valley. I was just there and but and I love the Everglades and <laughs> you know, it's like whichever one I was in last, I'm going to have a special love for it too. It's like, it could just, I could go on and on with answering this question for another hour. Right. Well, people, I'm sure, ask you this all the time. I get this question all the time of what's your favorite park? And, you know, an easy answer is to say the last one I visited. Yeah, right. <laughs> and do you have favorite features that you like to photograph? Oh, boy. Um, or do you like all of it? Yeah, I like all of it. I would say if I look at my work, I notice that I shoot a lot of trees, but that's not intentional. I just I think I find trees to be such a defining aspect of any given landscape. Whatever grows there tells you a lot about what the place is like. I think subconsciously I'm drawn to that for those reasons. Also, trees give life to pretty much any landscape and provide an aesthetic value that, that again, tells you a lot about where you are. I enjoy shooting wildlife, but I don't pursue it. I, I thought early in my career I might want to be a wildlife photographer until I found out how much you need to be chasing wildlife in order to shoot it. And I wasn't right. really interested in that. So if I come across wildlife, I'll absolutely photograph, uh, but I don't go looking for it. Right. And then I, I love the coast. You know, I love even when I was in uh, I spent a lot of time in Redwood last year. And as much as the trees are amazing, I kept going back out to the coast. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that Redwood has coastline because uh, they think of it as a forest park, which they're absolutely right. But there's, I want to say, 10 miles of pristine California coastline in the park, too. It's just incredible. And, I, you know, I would keep going back. I love shooting the sea stacks. You know, I grew up in New England, which also has very beautiful oceanfront. But, um, you know, the Pacific has its own its own nature, too, especially the Pacific Northwest. I love the sea stacks and the rock formations you get up on the shoreline there. Right. Yes. It is a much different ocean. And years ago, our first trip to the Pacific Northwest, my husband, Brian, we were in Oregon and we went to her parents' beach house. And he comes down in his bathing suit and his towel and is like, all right, I'm going for a swim now. Okay. <laughs> and they're like, where are you going? No, you don't swim here. You just look at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Oregon because I, when I was... Uh, about 30 years old, I went on this road trip with a friend of mine down the, the coast highway there. Uh, we flew out to Seattle. Of course, this was a photographer friend because I'm traveling with somebody, right? So we flew out to Seattle and we rented a Mustang convertible. We drove to San Diego and just spent the whole week shooting. We were really excited about Washington State and we were very excited about California. And Oregon was the state we had to drive through to do those two things. And Oregon ended up being our favorite part of the trip. The coastline, I mean, that they should just make the whole Oregon coastline a national park. It's just stunning. <laughs> well, maybe someday. <laughs> so taking lots of pictures, do you have any advice for tips for managing photos during and after your trip? I know you use Lightroom and that provides an easy way to just see a whole scheme of photos and pick your favorites. But um, any other tips for managing photos? Well, I mean, yeah, definitely Lightroom. I don't, you know, anybody who got into photography in the digital age, the, you know, answering Lightroom just sounds like a cliche. But anybody who 
came into photography to digital photography as it was being developed. You know, we're shooting film before that. We all know how big a problem Lightroom solved. And it's exactly the problem you just asked about. It's just kind of keeping track of your photos. Before we had Lightroom and a way to catalog things, it was just impossible to know where everything was and to be able to sort it and find it. It was so much easier with with slides in the film to be able to uh, catalog things. Lightroom solved that problem. So now you can have a real catalog, like a library catalog, which is exactly what they call it for that reason. You have this whole library catalog of everything you've shot. If you're good about keywording it, then it's very easy to find things. Um, In terms of dealing with stuff on the road, a couple of my business partners, one in particular, Matt Hill, he is adamant about editing on the road. He will not go to sleep at night until he has edited that day's shoot. I'm not that way. Uh, for me, the shoot is about the shoot, and I'll edit when I'm home. Now, neither approach is right or wrong, just what suits you better. But I do need to keep track of my photos and to keep them safe while I'm on the road because data is data, and data can disappear if you don't care for it properly. So I'm always dumping my cards to my laptop when I'm traveling, and I don't erase my cards until I get home. I also have a small portable hard drive that I keep with me, and I can back up everything there as well. So now I've got three copies of every photo that I shot, because the odds that something happens to three things and I lose the photos before I get home, that's very slim. And then again, I don't delete those photos uh, from my memory cards until I get back home and I get everything onto my main catalog and backed up there. Only then will I reuse those cards. So that's my workflow in terms of just uh, keeping track of my photos and making sure I don't lose anything along the way. That's helpful. All right. Well, before we end, let's just get some of your favorite stories. Do you have a few stories you can share? Did you ever have a big mishap that you had to salvage? Never. Never. (laughs) Great. That is great because you are prepared. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, geez. I mean, I did lose nine months of photos because I hadn't backed up properly. That that hurts. That really hurts. I would rather lose all my camera gear than lose my photos. So that hurts. And and I actually, this happened about five years ago, and I still have the hard drive that crashed just in case someday there's anything that can be done about it to get those raw files back. But that's a sad story. Let's, uh, how about, yeah. how about fun stories? Yeah. Do you have a fun story or should I ask more prompts? <laughs> oh, geez. Let me say off the top of my head. I was going to say something that I've been thinking of writing a blog post about. Uh, so National Parks at Night, we have a weekly blog that's on, you know, it's all about night photography and the national parks and the dark skies and all that. And I've been thinking of writing this post for a while about just what it's like to be out in these places shooting at night alone. Because there's definitely been some some good memories from doing that, primarily once I got over the fear of doing that. And that's a question that we get a lot, too, is aren't you afraid of being out in the wilderness at night? And, you know, the answer is no, uh, not anymore. You know, once I realized that there's really nothing going on there at night that's not going on in the day, that was a big hump to get over. You know, and, and people get afraid of wildlife, too. And the, the reality is most wildlife wants nothing to do with you even at night. Uh, in fact, one of my other business partners, Lance, he, he likes to say that there's more plants that want to hurt you than animals. Uh, and it's, it's absolutely true. It's the plants you got to watch out for, the cactus and the, the poison ivy. And, you know, those are the things that I'll get you. But I do have a lot of good stories, a lot of good memories, particularly from being alone at night. And I, I remember one time I was in Cuyahoga Valley National Park in Ohio, out shooting alone in the beaver marsh. And this, if you've never been to Cuyahoga Valley, it's a very different kind of park. You're not out in the middle of nowhere. 
you know, it's it's a rural park, but there's people who live around. So I wasn't even that remote, but it was night and I'm alone and things get into your head and uh, everything was very quiet. And then all of a sudden there was this just gigantic splash right next to me. And what it was was a beaver that had noticed, I guess, you know, it was floating around and didn't see me until the last second because I was staying still. But then, uh, you know, they alert the other beavers when they think there's danger nearby and that's what was happening. And this thing was about 10 feet away from me when it happened and just scared the heck out of me. So that was fun, you know. But yeah, that's just, I don't know, being out in the dark in these natural places, um, it's hard to think of specific memories. But just as a general experience, it's it's just like, I don't know, it's it's kind of magic being out under the stars on a dark night in places like Death Valley and Big Bend, Yellowstone. It's, you know, it's nice to be out in nature anyway, but to do it at night and to be able to see the stars and these dark skies the way that their in- our, our ancestors saw them, it really touches something kind of primal and beautiful that's in all of us. Wow, that sounds amazing. And I feel the same way. Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. That was a great way to end. So okay, I'm great. with Chris Nicholson. And please check out his book, Photographing National Parks. And I will have links on in the show notes and on our website to all the things Chris mentioned, including National Parks at Night. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And uh, I love what you're doing. So good luck going forward. I can't wait to see and hear more about what you're up to. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. Send us your stories, tips, or comments to hello at everybodysnps.com. You can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone and then attach it to the email. You may be featured on an upcoming episode. Again, the email is hello at everybodysnps.com. Subscribe for free to Everybody's National Parks on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, become a patron. Just click on support our show on our homepage, everybodysnationalparks.com. We also appreciate if you write a review, give us a five-star rating, and tell your friends. This helps more people find us. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag everybody's national parks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.